Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello and welcome back to the Bruce Banana FC podcast where we're going to be talking about, unfortunately, uh, Arsenal dropping points of the weekend, 2-2 draw at home to Fulham. And with me today, I've got, I'm bringing back the Bruised Banana FC random superlative objective generator, patent pending, to introduce the chewiest Ben. How <laughs> are you, Ben? Sorry. <laughs> you know what? The listeners won't know this. We recorded one a few days ago that unfortunately um, never made it to air for various reasons. But that's a lot better than the one I got there. Were you not chewy so then? I'll take that. I wasn't chewy at all. <laughs> and also, we have the politest Drew. I think it's for once. I think that's pretty accurate. So thanks so much. <laughs> nice to be back for another recording of this. Which is partially my fault. But not almost all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not yeah guys if, if if anyone wants to pile on anyone for not having an episode this week it's true he's um x grump per 90 on twitter so <laughs> feel free to at that we'll try and coax some rudeness out of you drew as well so that at least the adjective generator also is not correct just mention something about Arsenal Twitter this week, and I'll be grumpy instantaneously, so it's fine. I've got a few stuff here that I think is going oh, to take shout. Yeah, yeah, I've got a few, <laughs> a few stuff that I'm, that I'm hoping to trick you with, maybe. Who Jesus. <laughs> so we get back to the game. 2-2 two, two draw against Fulham. I think when we were doing the predictions for it, and I don't have all of them on hand, but I think I said 4-0. I think pretty much all of us predicted whitewashes of some kinds, like... Like, I mean, maybe not exactly a whitewash, but I think, like, Ben, did you say 4-1? And I think most of us had, like, two or three goals. 4-1 Erdegaard, yeah. Yeah, most of us had, like, at least three goal deficits, I'm sure. Because it felt like, looking at their previous games, which, think about, was it Everton and Brentford? They looked like they were there for the taking. And admittedly, João Polina wasn't there for the majority of those games. He started against Arsenal. We know that he's a great player, but he's not the be-all and end-all. But it doesn't really matter if you have a player as good as Jao Polina when you start the game like I'll start the game. And obviously, this isn't a new issue. We've done this, I think, I saw three times out of the line home games we've conceded in the first minute. You know, the game starts, everyone's positive. We're thinking we're going to win by... This is, this, this is going to be the game that Arsenal announces themselves onto the season. We're going to win by a, two, three, four goals. Everyone's going to say, wow, Arsenal going to be competing with Man City again. We go home, everyone's happy. And then a very dodgy Saka back pass leads to um, uh, Andres Pereira putting Fulham up in the first minute. Ben, what were you thinking? I'll be honest, I hadn't found a stream by that point. Um, so Drew, I couldn't tell you <laughs> what were you thinking. <laughs> it, was, it was just <laughs> it was just one of those like oh no here we go again moments, and thankfully. I've always kind of been of the, of the opinion that if you give up an early goal, it's it's not necessarily detrimental. You have so many more, you know, minutes left in the match to come back and settle down and stuff, and it's not really necessarily indicative of anything. But for us, it seems to be this ongoing trend we've had, um, where we just constantly just, you know, when we start at home, we just start so slow. Like 
players don't seem to be fully focused for whatever reason. Obviously, I don't want to speculate too much, but it does seem to be a difficult trend that we have, and particularly not just early goals, but just not keeping clean sheets at home in general seems to be a problem. And, you know, there's kind of that old adage that, you know, make your home your fortress if you want to you know, go on and, and win something. Like, you have to take as many points you know, at home as possible, particularly against opposition you should be beating at home. So, you know, we'll come on to <laughs> our thoughts about it later on, I'm sure. But, yeah, no, early, it's like, you know, you just kind of roll your eyes, you say, you know, not again, and then you just kind of brush it off because you remember at that point we still had 89 minutes plus stoppage time left. So, yeah, I mean, and we came so close to, to kind of uh, rewriting the script a little bit. But, yeah, so I, at, in the beginning, it wasn't entirely too frustrated, but it's just kind of just like more of we have to just stop these, you know, this, this can't just become the trend that we talk about, you know, more often than not and yeah just kind of have to stamp it out when we can yeah i mean uh, i mean I, I i completely understand what you're saying to be fair there is such a thing as scoring too early because the earlier you score the more time you've got to defend that lead and as you say it's talking about trends isn't it like we did the same thing considered it against bournemouth which was when they kicked off and kind of pumped the ball straight onto zinchenko and worked off the second ball and i think it was billing that ended up scoring and then we conceded against southampton um, where Ramsdale had the dodgy back pass. And now we've conceded from a pass from Saka on the complete other side. So we've almost kind of conceded from all three <laughs> zones of the of the defensive part of the pitch that you can concede from. And I've just seen now an up to Joe saying that we're the first team, team in the Premier League history to concede a first-minute goal three times in a single calendar year. So, you know, that's something that is brilliant to add to uh, to our records um ben you said you didn't find a stream in time to see the the first goal and i think you're probably quite lucky when you say that um but in terms of following on from that point when i imagine you were able to watch the game it felt like we were struggling even though we we were dominant it felt like we were struggling to really put them to the sword or grind out many or as many clear-cut chances that i think our domination really indicated we were going to create do you think that is down to a balance issue or do you think it's something else? Well, firstly, I'd like to say for legal reasons that it was an audio stream that I was uh, hunting out and not completely a video stream. Completely legal stick from Amazon, of course, um, so you completely understand. And secondly, what was the question again? Sorry. Just thought I have to get my disclaimer out there. <laughs> You've got your lawyer next to me now as well, yeah. Um, uh, so after we conceded that goal and you know we were dominant pretty much the entirety of the game, but it just felt like with the dominance we had and the territory we had, it felt to me like we should have created more than we did. Like, do you think there's a balance issue in there or do you think there was another part that was affecting us not being able to get the equaliser sooner? Well, during the game, I thought we definitely should have created more. But then when you look at the XG at the end of the game, it looks like we created plenty. It just didn't feel like we created plenty because it was sort of a... When you, when you look back, you can sort of point to the, the two chances from Kai Havertz. You can point to Saka missing from about a yard out. Um, you can point to all these things, but it just felt like we were never really at the races for the first 30 minutes of the game. And we did improve, but especially in that first quarter of the game, you sort of looked at it and went, is this really the same Arsenal team that were leading the Premier League for so long last season? Like We looked a completely different team. It looked like we didn't really have a clue what was going on or how to break Fulham down. So I don't know if it was like a a balance thing. I think... I think this Thomas party at right back and Gabriel up the side and all this stuff is having an effect um, on some players, but it just feels like it's like a, I don't know, because in theory we should be better going forward now and we should be better at the back because 
we've got Declan Rice patrolling our back four, and we've got Kai Havertz who can join the attack. But it just all seems a bit disjointed, and that's part you know it's partly understandable because you can say, well, they need time to bed in. But there are nine was it nine players out there that have played for us last season as well, um, and just yeah, it all just seemed a bit disjointed. Yeah, and I think this is something that you know teething issues are maybe something to be expected. It's, that's not to say that we shouldn't expect to beat Fulham with our current standards because I think that is definitely the case. But I do think that. You know, if you keep asking the same questions, then eventually teams work out answers. And when a team in the Premier League works out something about another team on how to beat them, then that answer gets spread to the rest of the league. So, you know, the blueprint gets spread out and people learn. So you can't just do what you used to do. And I, I completely like understand it from that perspective. So when people say, why don't we just do what we did last season? I think there will probably will be games for that. But I think generally you've got to look to invo- like evolve and improve and I think that there's a lot of, I don't want to say impatience, because I think that we are at a point now where we need to expect to win pretty much like the heavy majority of our games. Because if we want to have any hope of challenging City, and that's something the club says they want to do, then unfortunately the margins of that mean you have to win pretty much every game. And remember, Ben, you were saying after the result, like like a Fulham at home isn't a result you can drop points in. And I think that is absolutely correct. Sometimes you just have to find a way. Um, so Drew, in terms of you know the new season, this new system. Um, I've seen people say that um, Party was only playing right back to um, uh, to fit Havertz in and, and kind of things like this. Like, like, what is your opinion of whether or not Arsenal should stick a twist to the system, um, the ups and downs of it? Like, what do you think of this whole situation of the reaction to it? First of all, these people are absolute morons, and let's just put that out. We triggered him, boys. Yep, there it we is. We triggered him. <laughs> wasn't very polite that, I'll be honest. No, because on this on this topic, I'm not going to be polite. It took I can not many minutes. <laughs> I can nine so minutes can, and forty four seconds. That's probably a record because if you saw me on Twitter this week, maybe that would take me a way less than nine minutes and forty four seconds to get agitated. But I feel like I can understand when fans get angsty or frustrated or they ask questions. That's normal as a supporter. But when you're doing it in such a nonsensical fashion, when the answer is in front of your face and you, it just seems like you're doing it just because you want to have something to be angry about, I, I cannot tolerate that. And what frustrates me most is, you know, the, the, the biggest one definitely was people saying, well, but why are we playing Partey right back to, to accommodate Havertz or changing the whole system for Havertz? It's like, you morons. We played Partey right back last season before Havertz even existed in our Arsenal kit. That's what frustrates me so much. We've already trialed the fact that when we can't have an inverted left back, Arteta wants an inverted right back. So that already existed beforehand. And that kind of deads that whole argument in the sand where it lies. So for me, it's just, I I see this fan base already reverting back to sort of previous seasons where we've, we have so much expectations coming into the season. And then at the slightest instance of maybe we're not going to hit those markers, fans are already up in arms. You know, everyone's blaming Arteta or everyone's trying to blame Kai Havertz for everything under the sun. To me, it's that's just not a rational way of thinking. And I understand that most fans on Twitter are not rational, but that's also a choice. You, know, you don't have to be that reactionary. You don't have to find fault with everything. You don't have to, you know, throw a player under the bus literally with with less than 230 minutes of football played in an Arsenal kit in, in Premier League before you say he's not good enough, you know. And this isn't just fans, this is also plenty of pundits as well. And I guess some of them I'm not surprised about, like Craig Burley, some of them are still 
thinking rationally and they're trying to say you get you have to give them time it's been three matches whatever but yeah overall with the way the system is like you know kind of like we said in the last episode before it didn't work we did more than enough to win and yeah there's still teething periods with certain aspects of it you know we have to figure out like the ideal plan b maybe or the ideal plan c which is clear that it does want to have options both in personnel and ways we can deploy depending on who's available and that's what kind of what you want to see so i don't know why fans are also frustrated with that because the whole criticism before is well we need to have a plan b and a plan c under our we can't just force things and we kind of started making correlations back to the banker era where we didn't have a plan b and it definitely bit us so now that our is trying to find a plan B and a plan C. Fans are just saying, we'll just go back to what works. Okay, well, make up your mind. Which one is it? Do you want other options or do you want to just stick with the plan? Like, you can't have it both ways when it suits you. So I just feel like so much of the discourse is, again, just it's just going that, to back to that reactionary kind of nonsense where a lot of fans, rightly or wrongly, have pumped themselves up to think that we can go and genuinely push City again because we did so well last season. Some fans want to see that, and they're so worried about, well, any points drop means that we're already behind City, and City aren't going to go, of course City are going to drop points. They're not going to win all 38 matches. You know, it's likely they're not going to go undefeated because the Premier League is too difficult. So there's definitely time. And everyone's just kind of just going around comporting themselves like we just lost 4-0. Like, no, we dominated a match with which we had more than enough chances to score enough goals to win. And we quite literally gifted Fulham a point by a bonehead pass from, from Saka and poor marking on a, on a late set piece. So when you actually can sit back and rationalize the performance, you can say, well, we have to get better on defending set pieces, which is true. We have to start matches better, which is also true. But across the entirety of the performance, we gave Fulham next to nothing in terms of chances created. They couldn't get into any sort of match flow. You know, there wasn't one singular really good chance I can think of that they created apart from... Um, uh, Charlie's uh, 1v1 with Ramsdale is the only thing you can sit back and say that's the only half-decent chance they had on match, really. So is it doom and gloom? I don't think so. I mean, I'm as annoyed as anybody that we dropped points to Fulham. And as, as we all agreed before, you know, pre match we all had us down for a comfortable win and we wanted it to be a statement performance going into United, and, and that's all true as well. But when push comes to shove, I we played dire football opening half an hour not the best but then we finally found gear we looked so much better you know the patterns were there the chances were there even from early on even though we weren't playing at full tilt so yeah i just people just have to calm down it's match day three and people are already starting to just you know turn the gas on high and already start to cook things like in a negative way and it's just it's too early for this nonsense it's way too early like what happens when we get into champions league and what happens if we go away to some you know a team we get from pot four and it's a poor performance and we're gonna have the same sort of reactionary nonsense it's just like you just have to calm down it's a really long season and these fans would not have survived the invincibles era when we drew 13 or 14 matches one of which was against Fulham, by the way so just relax just please relax i'm trying to remember the the Fulham team from back then would have been oh god mcbride and redzinski do you remember redzinski yeah, I remember McBride, Wazinski were there for sure, and it's just like... Oh, Morte. Love <laughs> Yeah, and the team we had should not have been drawing against Fulham, but we still did because it happens. It's just like, that's football. I, ju- I just genuinely feel like fans cannot accept that there are going to be match days where you just don't get the result you want. And it's just it's just not the end of the world when it happens. You know, if but this was match you... day 36, and we were neck and neck with City, and that happened... I could understand that way more than I can this early on, for sure. But, but 
do you yeah. not think that there's uh it's a consequence of city's dominance that we've seen liverpool well they finished 98 and 99 points or something mm. into in back-to-back seasons and didn't win the premier league came second so every point does matter you know we're not and of i know course. you're not saying that every point doesn't matter but can you understand why frustrations when you're expected to go toe-to-toe with City when you lost out because you were dropping points against stupid teams last season, home and away, at the end of the season? Can you understand why there are some fan frustrations that dropping points to a mid-table side when you sh- maybe, in their mind, shouldn't be experimenting with plan B and C? You should be getting into a position where we're picking up momentum into the start of the season, and then when the home games come later in the season, you can go to plan B and plan C when we've already got points on the board and there's less pressure to sort of get off the mark. Do you, do you understand where those fans are potentially coming from? I can understand certain aspects of that. Yeah, again, I do think that when you're in, presumably when you're in a title race, as we should be, every point matters. And yes, you need to be beating Fulham at home. But that still, like, that's a different argument than to say everything is fucked. You know, like, Arteta is galaxy branding it. You know, these players are useless. It's certain contextual arguments that people are putting out and the result after and then the aftermath of the result that frustrate me. It's not that the people are overall frustrated and worried about you, know, you can't drop points because city or city. But it's just it's the it's like the, the sub rhetorics under that 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 frustrate me. And kind of people forget that, you know, last season City started well, but they weren't necessarily playing well. And then they hit a patch from well, October to February where um they, they, the results they struggled. They, you know, they drew Everton. You know, they lost to Brentford, lost Liverpool, lost to United, lost to Spurs. You know, struggled against Chelsea, struggled against Leeds, struggled against Fulham, barely beat Leicester. It's like those runs are going to happen, and I do kind of feel like part of the issue is our key players aren't back yet. I I could maybe understand it more if we had a full strength eleven. Ishijus was playing, if Sinchenko was there, if Timber was available. You know, if all these players were fit and all these players were starting the season well, and they just had an inexplicable bonehead draw against Fulham, I would probably be slightly more aggravated than I am, because when you're at full strength, we wouldn't have had to go to a plan B. That's the thing. It's I, just, I genuinely feel like that argument should be reserved for when I think circumstances kind of uh, allow for it, because Arteta has to try something new in that moment. You've got your, both your inverted left-backs did not play, and I think you know, the like the evidence was there from last season as to where, well, if, if they're not available, if Zinchenko wasn't available, that's the only moment he tried Partey at, at right back, really. So, and Ben White's good enough to play at center back. It's not like Ben White was poor, and you could say, well, you know, Saka didn't perform as well. Well, I mean, that's true, but you know, Saka still bagged the goal. He was still influential in the final 30. Maybe not a, was not 100%, but he was probably about, about 90%, and that should still be good enough to beat a poor Fulham who have been poor this season. So I just kind of feel like I I put it far more down to bonehead moments than I do to the system being the reason why we drew. I know a lot of fans won't see it that way, but I think for me that's just my take. But I just feel like the the, the measure of frustration I think is unwanted. I think you can be annoyed, sure, but I think there's being annoyed and there's catastrophizing, and that's what fans are doing, and that's what frustrates me. Yeah, and I do think that, you know, earlier on kind of I spoke about evolving, like you mentioned it there. Like I saw um, on the TV last night, uh, someone said a quote that was, if you're if the path you're on is easy, then you're on the wrong path. And I think it probably fits quite well here in the sense that for all the people that think that the system was the reason we lost, 
the system could also be the reason why once it clicks we take that final step and actually you know win something big so i do think that you know there has to be you know i mean patience to a certain extent yeah but also just some understanding that that sometimes as you said you know city last season there was points where people were saying this isn't the city of olds they're not as dominant as they as they have been and then they effectively like arguably came possibly the best version that city have been over a period of time where they became quite clearly the best team in the world and looked like they were literally unbeatable um so there was a point that you, you said in that when you were talking through that there was a point that we improved and i think one of the points is in the second half you know there were some substitutions made and before we talk about the people that came off, I want to talk about a player that came off because I think it is important that we at least reference this. And obviously, so um, halftime in Ketia comes on for Trossard and then Tinchenko comes on for Party, and Fabio Vera comes on for Havertz. So like Ben, obviously there's been a big, big reaction um, about Havertz, not just on his performance, but people have been very clear that they're making very conclusive um, judgments towards him at certain points. So, you know, I'm not asking you to to tell me what you think Havertz is going to be. I'm, I'm more asking, what is your opinion of how it, how his opening three, four, five games are? Several reasons. Um, he came from Chelsea, which is historically not a great um, vote of confidence. You know, when you think back about who we've picked up from Chelsea in previous summers um they haven't always been the best think about Petacek and William Gallas and David Luiz had some moments I mean he was very good overall I think but he had some moments there's also the fact that he was bought for 65 million the there's also the fact that he's keeping both Fabio Vieira and Emma Smith Rowe out of the side which you know at that point people expect to see results and he's not conventional in what he does he's no he's never been conventional by Leverkusen he wasn't conventional um at Chelsea he definitely wasn't conventional and we've seen what he can do in the Premier League which I think adds more because if he'd been doing the same thing in the Premier League that he'd been doing in uh sorry if he'd been doing what he did in the Premier League in the Bundesliga instead and we signed him directly from Bayer Leverkusen I think there'd be a very different discourse around him but um because he's coming in from a Premier League side and we've watched him play in a shite Chelsea side for two years it feels a bit like we already know the player that we've got we know his uh flaws and we know what he's good at and those are being sort of I suppose positive reinforcement on those because we've seen that he's not getting the goals and getting the assists and he's not getting into those positions I think I think there's a point in the first half when he watched a, cro- a really good cross go across the face of goal and didn't move towards it. You know, that striker's instinct where Eddie Nketiah, for instance, might have uh, gambled on the cross. But I think also there's a there's a, there's a a fear that maybe he doesn't quite... Uh, he, he's Arteta's project, isn't he? So where Granit Xhaka used to be, and Granit Xhaka had his remontada, obviously, and was excellent last season. Now we've gone to a more attacking player and it's seeing fan favourites like Gabriel being left out in some people's minds. Um, and you're seeing Thomas Partey, you're not seeing the results. So if we'd won 5-0, 4-0 and 4-1, and Kai Havertz hadn't done anything, we wouldn't be having these conversations. But because they've been sort of gritty games um, where he's been okay, I think he was fine against Forest. I think he was um, decent enough against Palace. And I think that against, I think it was his worst game in an Arsenal shirt so far against Fulham. But I think that 
he still finds the right sorts of spaces. I think we need to find him more, and I think he's low on confidence. But I think that he's getting into good positions, and a lot of people forget that he's sort of learning that position as well. So that will that will come with time. But I do think that there is already a preconception around him that he's set up to fail. Price tag ex Chelsea, you know, he's in. A, he's a he's not a nine, and he's not a ten, and he's not an eight. So we're trying to play him in this sort of mixture where he does all three. Um, and obviously, that's quite hard to quantify on a football pitch where you're so used to seeing. Uh, you know, playing with two eights or playing him as a nine or whatever. So I think there's a lot of reasons for him being sort of singled out um, beyond just his having failed to provide a goal or assist yet. I think there are a lot of mitigating circumstances, but I do think that that's why the fans are not sold yet on him or a lot of the fans aren't yet sold on him. I think you saw that I admitted it <laughs> and then you were going to say something and then you didn't. Um, <laughs> for me, it's, it's tricky. So I agree with pretty much almost all of what Ben said, but I think, so one of the things I, I constantly always talk to people about is yes, Kai Havertz is not new to the Premier League. You know, he's been, he was at Chelsea for what, three seasons, you know, um, but the requirements to play, and, and every player at Arsenal has said this since they arrived, that they didn't realize how in-depth like Arteta's mind is tactically. The things that they're already learning, and these are professional footballers that have been now, like, I, I'm learning to become a better footballer since moving here. The requirements to play at Arsenal are quite high. And I feel like, well, first of all, like midfield is not new to Kai Havertz. At Leverkusen, he did play in, at the 10. He played... Uh, also, as a mobile eight, uh, when he played at 10, he operated in the same spaces he's operating in now. So while on paper, it might be new to him in practice, it really isn't. But how you mesh that all together with a system that's new to him and managerial desires on the tactics board that are new to him, new teammates, he also still has to find his confidence because that was completely destroyed at Chelsea. And Chelsea were an absolute nightmare tactically. There's a lot of cobwebs to shake off. It's still the third match day. I do think there's plenty of context to say like you've, you've got to give him some time. but And I kind of alluded to this in the Twitter chat with what we had what was like a week ago about, you know, would we take Ivan Tony at Arsenal for $80 million? And I said, no, one of the reasons why I said this is because when you spend a certain amount of money, fans expect you to immediately start doing things from match day one. And if you don't, they're going to be on you. And we're seeing that with Havertz. I do think there are mitigating things about you know the Chelsea link and how he didn't perform always for them. That sort of you know, tilts the pendulum like not in his favor a little bit, but it's the price tag. If we bought him for twenty million, they would be having the same reaction as they are for sixty-five million because his price tag has been referenced constantly surrounding it. So there's that kind of added pressure that fans are placing. Well, for that money, I want him to be doing things from from the minute. But football's not that linear, and it's not that simple. So, and I do think that you know, there's plenty of data out there from people like Adam Bogue and and Scott Willis that show like his his radar is his data points. He's been very similar in terms of what Granit Xhaka did last season in terms of his radar. Um, and if you look at the, kind of the passing map when uh, from the first half against Fulham, one of the issues that I had is that, and you've spoken this, uh, about this as well, Luke, that he has to just he has to bond with teammates on the pitch. And when he's playing with the, with Gabriel Martinelli and Leandro Trussard and him, they're all taking up a lot of room in that same left hand half space. It's going to be hard for him to be as influential as you want him to be 
um, when players are taking space away. And then people are saying, well, look at how good Fabio Vieira did when he came on. Part of that is because Eddie Nketi was then um, leading the line, creating space by making so many forward runs and being more mobile than Trussard was, who was kind of really living in that left hand, so have left hand half space more often than not. It allowed room for Vieira and Martinelli to both uh, affect the match moving forward. And that's not a situation we saw Havertz been able to have afforded to him. So there's some context with that as well. I'm, I, I don't know. I just kind of feel like some signings are just slow burners. And when you're coming from, from such dysfunction at Chelsea <laughs> and you're coming into a way more highly tuned um, uh, tactical semantic under Arteta with all these new teammates, and he essentially has to relearn how to be a midfielder almost because he just spent three years trying to be you know turned into a center forward, it's going to take some time. And if that means you take him out of the team against United, which I expected, I think we all kind of agreed against United, we probably should see the same midfield that started against City in the Community Shield. That's totally fine. I don't think he'll start against United. And I think it's not because he's because Arteta doesn't trust him. I just think he, he might not give what Arteta wants for that match. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, so I completely agree. I think, you know, when it comes to these types of things, like when it comes to a season like the result against Fulham 2-2 and also the Havertz performance. Havertz was hooked in the 56th minute and he deserved to get hooked because he wasn't playing very well. That doesn't matter that um, uh, that he played badly in the, in the scope of the season because he can improve. And obviously we have to expect that he improved because he is a top-level talent that's been signed with Premier League experience for a high price tag. So now we're at a point where, you know, it's fair to say that he has to get better, but at the same time, you know, sometimes it does take time. And, you know, like Ben was saying, he's playing the hybrid role of all hybrid roles there where he's being asked to do not just something, he's being asked to do everything essentially. So he's doing like, like he's been in a position now where he's needing to to kind of do what Xhaka does. And as Drew said, that looks like the data backs up that he's kind of stepping into those shoes um, statistically at least to a good point but also we're expecting to make more runs into the box we're expecting him to create chances and we're doing it in a system that right now the team isn't used to so he can't really lean on other people as much um, so I do think that at the end of the day you know you have to um, you have to give someone time but I do think that when he came off rightly or wrongly about Kai Havertz it is at a point where um you have to um, look at the subs and what they did when they came on. And you referenced Drew when um, when Inketia came on. Obviously, like it was a game changer. Fabio Vieira. It felt like this was kind of a welcome to the party performance from Fabio Vieira because there's been so many uh, question marks over him, especially with the recent news that the club don't really want to part of Smith Rowe, but they could be tempted if we get like a really really big offer. It feels like like for as long as 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 Smith Rowe has been fit back ready to play Fabio Vieira has been edging ahead of Smith Rowe like Arteta seems like he's much more convinced of uh, of Fabio Vieira than he is of Smith Rowe so but but last season when he kind of came on in that granite tracker position we didn't really see a Fabio Vieira that looked polished looked refined he wasn't really given the performances that we hoped he'd give which is again to a certain extent probably slightly understandable because he's come in from a season in the Portuguese league where I think it was his first season playing consistent first team football when he's coming straight over to the Prem. You need that time to adapt, not just physically, but obviously mentally as well. Like you can see that he's clearly a, a fantastic technical player. So I do think that um, uh, 
we have to look at this performance from him. So I'm going to come to you, Ben. Um, Zinchenko comes on, Fabio Vera comes on, and Ketia comes on, and they change the game. Like, what, what do you think it was about them coming on that that made the game flip in our favour? Um, well, I think Zinchenko makes most games flip in our favour. Um, I think Eddie and Ketia has been sort of. I think he's really stepped his game up this season. Actually, I think he's been excellent in the amount of time we've seen him. I, I know he missed a couple of chances against Palace and there were people that were saying, oh, well, he's the sort of striker where his finishing's his bread and butter. But I think his all-round play has really improved so far this season. I don't know what you think, but in Gabriel Jesus' in, uh, absence, I think that he's really taken up the mantle of what I would expect to see as a as a first-choice striker. I know he's come out recently and said, I don't see myself as a backup and I don't plan to be here as a backup and whatever. And it does feel like finally he is at a level where he can challenge Gabriel Jesus. Maybe not um, on all facets. You know, Gabriel Jesus may still be, have a slightly better understanding and be slightly better technically, but Eddie Nketiah is, on by his own right, a very, very good striker now. So I think that him coming on sort of gave us more of a focal point and it stopped. I mean, I, I don't know what happened with Trossard. I think he, you know, had trampolines attached to his boots or something because he was... Honestly, I think it's the worst half of football I've seen from. <laughs> we've been clamoring him for him as well Arsenal. for weeks on, on this. Yeah, program. yeah. Well, we've been saying, oh, he's so unlucky not to start. You know, he's, every time he comes on, he's been excellent. But I don't know if he put his boots on the wrong feet or whatever. But he was just no bueno. Um, and I think Kai, he and Kai have sort of going each other's way a lot as well. They didn't. They, I'm sure there will be a time where they understand how to um, sort of interchange between sort of that left eight and number nine position, but it wasn't that this time. Um, so having Ketia sort of simplified everything because he's going to stay up front and he's a very good player in his own right. Zinchenko obviously coming back is a massive uh, boost for us in just about every way. And then, yeah, the sort of the guy that will get all the credit, Fabio Vieira, had he had sort of the game that he's always threatened to have. He's always looked kind of like it could almost work. I remember there's lots of times where, and I don't know why it always comes to me, when we throw him on, he always seems to have like a a late cross into the box or a late, fr- I remember there was a free kick that he put straight into the goalkeeper's arms at 3-3 and I just thought, oh, oh I think it was 3-3, it might have been 2-2 or something. But I just thought, oh, that's, that's it. You know, that sort of sums up his Arsenal career so far. But this season he's looked so much sharper and he's always, I mean, we've spoken about him on the pod already, but like a final ball merchant. He is so good in that last third when it comes to finding the assist or shooting or whatever. And maybe we're getting him higher up the pitch now in that Havertz role. Maybe he's got more confidence. Maybe he's uh, built up a bit more. But it does just feel like this could be a really big season for him. And conversely, it could be a bit of a, a, a concern for Emil Smith-Rowe. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I, I think we've, we've spoken about it a lot in, in the sense of it felt to me, even at the start of last season, that when... It was reported that we were after Mudrick in the last week of the, the the summer window that it felt to me like there's something there with Smith Rowe. And obviously, you know, fitness issues have happened. Um, he had the operation. He came back. He really thought that hopefully kick on getting the team. Hasn't really happened. So, I mean, I don't want to make definitive things on for Smith Rowe right now. But, you know, it does feel to me like this upcoming season is huge for him. Um, to reference what you said about Eddie, I, I agree, to be honest. I'm not sure if it's even that is general players, but it feels to me like there's a different attitude from Eddie. And and by that, I don't necessarily mean that there was ever a bad attitude. But I think that sometimes when he was coming off the bench, 
he didn't look as interested. Um, and then when you kind of get running the team, you could see he looks hungry. But like like this season, it looks starving. Like it, I, I said after the game that this is the first time I've I felt like Eddie really believes that he's good enough to start for Arsenal. And I think that you're seeing that in how he's playing. Like he's like the way he chased everyone down, just the belief he has in himself. And and he probably hasn't scored the as many goals as he should have done based on the fact that you kind of attribute him as being a goal-scoring striker, someone that doesn't really give too much outside of scoring goals. But I do think that, you know, that Fabio Vieira pass, firstly, to, to Nketi, he makes it look simple. But that is a that is the, the pass. Like, like De Bruyne makes it look simple. I mean, like most players don't make it look simple. Most players overhit it. Most players don't kind of get the right trajectory to, to kind of get it in the place it needs to be, even though it looks simple. Um, but again, Eddie in the right place at the right time he smells that chance and when the ball comes to him it just you know it's it's just a calm cultured side foot finish past the goalkeeper um it just feels to me like like in in those times he can just be ice cold and and again you spoke about Zinchenko flipping games in our favor it feels to me like it was almost kind of a bit like a shame for Havertz that he came off at the same time Zinchenko came on because to me Zinchenko could be the key in unlocking Havertz in that left-hand side. I think it could be the, the difference for Martinelli as well. I, we saw on uh, Rio Ferdinand's podcast channel, talking channel. I don't, I don't listen to it that much, so I'm not going to say I know what it is. Um, but when he's talking to Rio Ferdinand, he's saying, you know, he comes inside. If the winger follows him, then Martinelli's one versus one. Um, if the winger doesn't follow him, then he's got free reign to to kind of go into the centre mids and and dominate play. So. Um, it could like to me. It feels like there's something that Zinchenko has that no one else in the, in the team has. Like maybe Jacker had a bit of it, but when Jacker was reported to be leaving, it did feel to me like oh, you know, like you know Zinchenko really is the only person that has that. Maybe Timber's got it as well. I think we we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, we're waiting a while now. Um, but I do think that Zinchenko's got that little bit of guile. I don't know if it's an intelligence thing or the fact that he's so good technically, but it just feels like. He 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 knows when to get on the ball, and he just he finds that pass. He's always on the ground through the lines in the center of the pitch. He kind of cuts straight through teams with passes, and it just felt like when he came on the pitch, it went from us having a lot of possession in decent areas to to actual legitimate penetration. And I think that there'll be a time very very soon, and it could be Manchester United coming up on the weekend. We'll talk about that more in, in the preview when we record it, but. If it was to me, there's a t- there will be a time very, very soon where Zinchenko is in that team and Havertz is in that team. And as you were saying, Havertz will, will be standing at left half space and Zinchenko will just boom, find him, boom, find him, boom, find him. And then we'll really see what Havertz is made of in that position because at the end of the day, I think that, not that he's had a lack of service, but I just think that the balance of Zinchenko and both on the left-hand side suits Martinelli better, suits Havertz better. And I think that possibly even White going back to his almost kind of right centre-back, right-back role, backing up Saka would probably make more sense on that side as well. Um, So, I mean, I think we have to talk about obviously the end of the game. So we get the penalty, Saka scores it, brilliant. it, It feels like a lift, doesn't it? It feels like... We've spent so much of the game trying to get back into the game that finally we're there. We're finally 1-1. We know now, if in our heads, it's we score another goal, we win the game. And then after that, um, Fabio Vieira puts that cross in that I spoke about earlier. Eddie Nketiah, again, 2-1 Arsenal. And then I think in our heads, it's like we want to defend the leads. So we sit back a bit and more so than we should. And then... And for some reason, my notes have got 83rd minute leads go down to 10 men. 
in a third minute, Fulham go down to 10 men. Calvin Bassey gets a second yellow cards. And then I guess like you can think of it in the sense that obviously we're going to be comfortable. Obviously, we're going to feel like we're going to win the game. We're 2-1 up at home. They're down to 10 men. And then the player that, you know, I'd argue was one of the main driving forces in us getting back in the game, Zinchenko, gives the ball away, gives away a cheap corner. And now, Ben, I'm going to come to you. Talk me through the corner. Yeah, so it's just a sort of routine ball played across. Um, Not really sure where the Arsenal players were. Maybe they just checked out, thought they were going to win the game. Um, It it wasn't anything particularly, uh, like impressive like you didn't i didn't look at the corner and go oh that's a danger you know it's not one of those ones that's right under the crossbar or or whipped in with loads of pace it wasn't a dangerous one it was just sort of a a nothing ball really that palinia managed to get to ahead of his man there was no one near him by the end and just turned it goalwards through three or four players i think it was on past ramsdale's it's it was so soft like it was almost like a I can't quite believe that's happened. Like the same with the first goal. It was, so, it was just a stunned silence, I guess, from I guess from the crowd as well. Because they're just like, how? How have you let that slip again? And how have you let it slip so stupidly? Like if, if it would been if it had been that Raul Jimenez overhead kick in the first half where he, he goes uh I don't I still don't know how physically he does that and kicks it with his right foot and like just puts it wide of the post. If it had been that, the weeds Decent dropped effort. points to it. I would have been like, <laughs> you know what, that's that's fair yeah. enough. That's some goal. But the way we can see goals is genuinely comical. I don't I don't know any other side, and I know City did it um, a day later by Kyle Walker back healing it inside his own box and whatever, but I don't know any other side that so regularly concedes such crap goals to teams that they really shouldn't be conceding those goals to. The only reason we should be dropping points to Fulham is if it's a worldy or, you know, if we play terribly. Neither of those things were true. But defensively, we were shambolic. Yeah, and we were so good at defending set pieces last season. Like, we were, um, um, like, if we weren't the best team at defending set pieces last season, we were up there with the best. Like, it felt like we hadn't conceded a, a corner or a set piece for, like, the first two thirds of the season, maybe in, like, you know, three quarters of the season. Um, And then, you know, I think that in the first half, we had another kind of, escape as well where we conceded uh, a corner and defended it a bit lackadaisically but yeah no I mean what's changed in the team for us to suddenly be bad at corners like if anything it feels like we're taller <laughs> it feels like we should be better at this yep. than, we, than, than we were last season but you know we've added Rice um, but we're playing with three centre-backs essentially now like in that game we had Kiwio, Saliba, Ben White um, Partey was on the pitch, Declan Rice was on the pitch, Havertz was on the pitch I mean, he wasn't on the pitch for the, for the, the corner we conceded, but it feels like we've kind of dropped the ball now on on defending set pieces. But we're not, it's, it's not aerially. It's not a problem aerially. Like go, he goes to the we, floor, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, we could have we could have won the won the ball in the air quite easily, as you say. We've got a much taller team now, even without Havertz on the pitch. But it just how you let him run across the front post completely unopposed, and then put it in the corner. I just, I understand that, you know, we were maybe trying to hold on and we didn't think it was that serious, but it's just switch on. Like, there's five minutes left at home for quite an important three points in the, you know, grand scheme of the first three games of the season. So you just, like, it just felt like we just switched off and uh, we do it so often. And Zinchenko is a major culprit of it. I'm a, you know, we, we praise him going forward and in build up, but in defense, he is something of a liability. And you can see in that regard why. 
we have to play a system that masks that weakness and why we often like why, why Manchester City ended up getting rid of him because there are serious flaws to his game for all of the excellent attributes that he has on the ball and you can see you know, we can speculate that that's why Timbo is brought in you know because he's more assured defensively and he offers because in, in bigger games we might have seen Timber playing at left back instead of Zinchenko because he offers more defensively and is still pretty good in build-up but it's just so 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 poor that we can see goals in the way that we do um and it hasn't just been this start this season it's been last season as well um but it just it feels like we need to have a serious growing up period to really challenge like we went close last season but we are and you know it felt great but there are times where we just can see stupid goals and you think how on earth like how on earth have you done that you can't put it down to tactical being tactically outmaneuvered you can't put it down to someone scoring a worldie i mean maybe the against southampton the carlos alcaraz goal was a well it was a pretty good goal but like we just concede goals it's just stupid like we shouldn't we're good enough to not concede those goals and yet we still do yeah and sorry rant over (laughs) no i mean i think you're bang on to be fair i completely agree and it does raise questions over you know whether or not we're going to stick with what we started with in this game, or if we're going to twist for Manchester United. But obviously those are questions for the Manchester United preview pod, which is going to be out um, later in this week. Um, ben mentioned it at the start of the episode. We did actually record this same episode a few days ago, but we had technical issues. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get it out. And it looks like we've kind of lost Drew to technical issues throughout this episode as well. Um, but if you've listened this far, thank you so much for, lis- uh, for listening. We've, we've been really... Um, like humbled by um, the amount of people that are now talking to us and the amount of people that are tuning in to, to listen. And, you know, we, we really do what we can to try and be as good as we can. And we really love hearing back from everyone. Um, obviously to leave it now, I'm going to, I'm going to actually, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take the, the I'm just going to chime in, chime in with some breaking news that uh, following Balogun has just joined AS Monaco. It's been confirmed. Just thought I'd uh, drop that in. Well, that's, there you go. A eh? breaking news. That's what that's, that's, uh, you don't get that anywhere else. No, no, straight on. <laughs> so uh, to, to to end this one, I'm going to take the the Bruce Brown FC random superlative objective generator patent pending. I'm going to give myself one as well. So I have been the crispiest Luke, <laughs> and uh, and thanks so much for listening. I've been joined by the itchiest Ben. We had itchiest. Varun was the itchiest <laughs> last time. Yeah, one of us has always got to be itchy. It's a problem. Yeah. I'm itching to record more, so you know, keep <laughs> <Yeah>. listening. <laughs> and we have been joined also by the nastiest Drew, which is I think is a little bit and um, oh the um, the next one is the sorriest actually, the sorriest Drew, who is I imagine very sorry that he's not here to say goodbye to everyone. But again, thanks so much for, for listening. We'll be back later in the week with the Manchester United preview and I hope you have a great day. Thanks very much. Erdegaard is joining in and he's seen Martin Bio Saka beaten out by the roof and touched in by Jesus! Bio Saka! Oh,